Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing track and field. Before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. So moving to the bi-weekly format, we have lots of news headlines. It's been two weeks since the last episode. Uh, the first headlines that I saw is that on a previous episode, I announced the release of two awesome new games, Bruce Lee 2 and Ultima 4, the uh, remastered version. Uh, I think uh, Ultimate 4 was 2.0 or version 2 when I announced it. Well, there are uh, multiple updates to these games. Uh, Bruce Lee is now up to version 1.9. And I had in my notes that uh, Ultima 4 Remastered version 2.1 is out, but I just saw that 2.2 is out. So those games are still being updated. I will add links uh, to those in the show notes if you want to download those. You can always check the uh, CSDB, which I have a link to that as well, uh, on Sprite Castle, and I will add it to the show notes just in case. But that is a, a great place to check if you're looking for new uh, Commodore 64 updates. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. The uh, Commodore 64C case Kickstarter was funded. Um, that was the Kickstarter uh, that I mentioned on a previous show in which uh, the original molds for the Commodore 64C case were found and discovered and new cases are going to be made. Uh, the limited edition colors for Kickstarters are red, white, and blue, and then two additional colors, which are the original um, beige color and a clear case, which is really what I wanted from the very beginning. It was a clear one. I thought that would be just uh, pretty cool. But uh, all those... The Kickstarter was was funded way over the uh, asking goal, so uh, I'm excited about that. I uh, am a fan of the original Breadbox. To me, that's uh, mentally when I see that version, that's what I think of uh, when I think of the Commodore 64. But I'm excited about these cases. I'm pretty sure I have a spare uh, Commodore 64C or two out in the garage, and so eh, like anything else. Do you use the cases? Do you collect them? Do you put them on display? I don't know yet. I don't know if I'm going to use them or not. Maybe I'll get, maybe I'll spray paint one of the ones that I have uh, and make it look like one of those. And then I don't have to open those. I don't know. Uh, life's hard for a collector. To go with those fancy new Commodore 64 cases, uh, there has been another, uh, this is not a Kickstarter, I believe. I believe it's a different uh, funding site. Uh, for color key caps, basically colored keys that will go on the Commodore 64. And um, there are lots of different colors that are being, uh, there are pictures of, renders of, some are renders, some are pictures, um, but uh, that's going on as well. So maybe once you get your new Commodore 64 uh, C case, you can get some different colored keys to go on top of it as well. And those are kind of cool. There's also a Kickstarter out right now for, um, 
the Bitmap Brothers. If you uh, are not familiar with the Bitmap Brothers, they were responsible for lots of classic Commodore 64 and Amiga games, uh, Speedball uh, 1 and 2 come to mind, Xenon, um, the Chaos Engine, that's another one of theirs. So they are working on a book right now. There's a Kickstarter for that out there. I will add that link as well. And uh, the book... I saw some pictures. It's supposed to have some behind-the-scenes artwork, some really cool stuff. So that uh, that looks like a cool project. I read that uh, c64wares.com, that's with a Z, uh, has been updated. That is a great website for going and getting applications. It's everything but games, I guess, is the easiest way to explain that. There's lots of uh, utilities, disutilities, and uh, all different kinds of software available on c64wares.com. So um, they have updated their site, and it's real easy now to go through and browse and see what all's there. So you might want to go check that out if you are a Commodore user. One of my favorite news bids over the last couple of weeks is the uh, teaming up of Commodore is Awesome, which is a great website, with Vinny from Hackersoft, the guy who is responsible for all these crazy hacks. And uh, Vinny does all these, he, he adds trainers, but I mean, you know, the games that we had, you might have a trainer that would say, do you want unlimited time? Do you want unlimited lives? And then that would be it. Vinny goes through, I mean, he adds like some of this, uh, the one, uh, well, I just saw one for uh, uh, Rent-A-Cop. He added 36 different types of uh, cheats or uh, trainers to the front of that. So uh, these two, uh, Vinny has basically agreed to release his uh, crazy hacks through Commodore is Awesome. So that is a win-win uh, because Commodore is Awesome is a great website. If you don't follow them on uh, Twitter, I have links to their uh, website and Twitter handle on SpriteCastle.com. Uh, but if you uh, follow them now, you will get notifications whenever Vinny releases one of his uh, crazy hack releases, including that Rent-A-Cop release that just came out, uh, which um, looks very similar to a game I remember on the Commodore 64 that involved a uh, police officer chasing a criminal through a mall that was trying to escape through the ceiling. So if uh, you have any memories of Keystone Capers, you might uh, recognize this game, the latest release that Vinny uh, just did his crazy hacks for. So uh, that's pretty cool stuff. I have started doing some research. I'm trying to find other Commodore related podcasts. And so I've started a list. They are on the right hand side now of SpriteCastle.com. You can go there. Some of the Commodore 64 ones, in fact, most of the Commodore 64 ones I found, like Immortal uh, and the C64 Takeaway, are dedicated to Sid Music. So if you're into Commodore Music, um, they're not a, a podcast like like this, like a uh, talking type show or whatever, but they do have some great music on there and, and they're really cool. If you're uh, just working during the day, you want to put on some background music, stuff like that. Or, uh, you know, some of them mix up old, like really old tunes or really new tunes, things like that. There's a lot of different things to uh, uh, listen to on there. So I'm kind of collecting those. So if you see any that are missing from the website, drop me an email at SpriteCastle at gmail.com. And let me know. So far on there, I have uh, Immortal, C64 Takeaway, and then I have Constellation Commodore, which is uh, a Spanish podcast. I just found out about that right uh, after releasing my last episode. And the first episode is, I think, like five and a half hours long. I really wish that, uh, that I understood Spanish because uh, that looks like a really cool uh, podcast. 
Uh, I also put a link to Seeing World, which I believe is has uh, it's on a Commodore 64 website, and it has ties to um, uh, the scene. Now, some of the the latest episodes uh, have interviews with um, the voice of Mario from Super Mario, and and uh, features about uh, Ubisoft's uh, gaming team. And there was an article in 3D Realm, so that stuff's not Commodore related. So I'm not really sure how much of their podcast is Commodore related, but you might want to check that. Uh, check that out anyway. And then I also put some Amiga podcasts on there. I'm really a, a C64 guy, but there's a Amy cast and there's Boing's world, uh, which is in German. So, uh, lots of, uh, different shows out there. I'm still trying to find other ones. And, um, I, uh, mentioned on the last episode, I'm going to try to, uh, fit a little bit more Commodore news into uh, this podcast as well, as far as headlines and and new releases and things like that. So, uh, but it'll definitely, I'm not changing the format. So, but, uh, it'll be just like this show. There'll be some news up front and then we'll get to, uh, uh, this episode's game. Also speaking of getting to things, let's get to this episode's King of the castle. This episode's King of the castle is Paul Ramos, uh, who submitted via email and he guessed, the uh, song played at the end of the last episode, the last episode was Donkey Kong Jr. And Paul correctly guessed that the song was the Foo Fighters Monkey Wrench. So congratulations to Paul Ramos. You are the official king of the castle for this episode. If you would like to be the king of the castle of a future episode, you need to listen to the last song played in the podcast. Now, remember, it won't be something from the game, but thematically it will be something uh, tied to the show. I guess that's the best way to say it. Like Monkey Wrench uh, was tied to Donkey Kong Jr. So uh, anyway, congratulations again to Paul. You are this episode's king of the castle. And uh, let's see what else. Oh, I did have a little bit of feedback. I got um, a voice message. You guys know that I love the voicemail. Uh, the voicemail line is uh, area code 405-486-YDKF. That's for You Don't Know Flack, my other podcast. But uh, I use that for all my podcasts. And I got a, uh, a voicemail from Tony Rom. He, uh, first of all, he said he did not know that Donkey Kong Jr. had been released. And, um, you know, there are lots of people that enjoy a Commodore, Commodore emulation, but don't follow all these different uh, websites as far as new releases and stuff. So hopefully... Uh, you could just follow Sprite Castle and I'll get you the best of the best. Um, he is trying to get his flyer. Uh, he has a Commodore flyer and he's trying to get that hooked up to his Macintosh using the Macintosh to work as a server. And I don't, I've never tried that. I have a PC and I did get the flyer, uh, to work with the PC, but I've never tried it with a Mac. So if there are any listeners out there, uh, who have successfully used the Mac as a, uh, a server, for the flyer. I think he's trying to get Donkey Kong Jr. Converted over so he can play it on his real 64. So if anybody has successfully done that, drop me an email. And he also says he, uh, is one of many people. Nobody has ever said, get rid of talking snack. Everybody likes talking snack. So maybe all the people that don't like talking snack also don't like sending in feedback. <laughs> maybe that's what it is, but all the people that have, uh, sent in comments about talking snack all said that they love that segment. So with that said, uh, those are all of this week's news headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who literally just ran into a fire hydrant. All right. Boy, what a headache. 
And now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. Now, this is a weird episode. I normally record uh, in the evenings or sometimes late at night, but I was busy this weekend, and so I am recording uh, in this little time slot I have after I've taken the kids to school, but before I have to go to work. So uh, I had to have something for breakfast. Now, in episode seven, uh, where we did uh, fourth and inches, the football game, I wanted to have something sports-related, and so I used... Uh, the song Rock and Roll Part 2 from Gary Glitter. And one of the people who identified the song said, hey, you should Google Gary Glitter. And so I did uh, Google, that's a tongue twister, Google Gary Glitter. And what I found was he had been sentenced that day um, on charges uh, related to pedophilia. (laughs) And I thought, boy, that's not what I expected. (laughs) I don't want to bring controversy into the Sprite Castle. The Sprite Castle is a drama-free zone. This is all happy times where we all play Commodore games and have a good time. So, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to avoid controversy in the future. So um, this episode, we are going to be talking about track and field. Track and field makes me think of the Olympics. Uh, Of course, it was from that time. And so I thought, you know, what... What is something that uh, professional athletes eat for breakfast? And that would be Wheaties. So to get away from the drama, I'm pulling up a, uh, a classic Wheaties commercial. Jenner's really piling up the points. He sprints through the hurdles for 866. He hurls the javelin for 862. He's done it. Bruce Jenner set a new world decathlon record. I spent a good part of my life getting ready for that day. I worked out a lot. Ate a lot of Wheaties because a complete breakfast with Wheaties is good tasting and good for you. Take it from Bruce Jenner. Wheaties is the breakfast of champions. That was uh, Wheaties uh, brought to you by Bruce Jenner. Wheaties, the breakfast of champions. Rock over London, rock on Chicago. <laughs> but nobody will get that joke. <laughs> anyway, with all this talk about... Uh, Wheaties and the Olympics and Bruce Jenner. Let's go ahead and move into this week's game, which is track and field track and field was published for the Commodore 64 in 1984 by Atari soft. It is a game for one to four players that uses either a joystick or keyboard controls. Atari soft was in charge of porting uh, successful arcade games over to home computers, they released 15 titles over about a year for the Commodore 64. And those include, I'm skimming through the loose here. Well, I, I was looking for any that I would leave off, but they're all, they're all, uh, a, a plus titles. I guess you'd say, uh, Atari soft for the Commodore 64 released Battlezone, centipede defender, dig dug, donkey Kong, galaxian gremlins, jungle hunt, moon patrol, miss Pac-Man, Pac-Man, Pole Position, Robotron 2084, Stargate, and this week's game, which is Track and Field. Uh, trivia fact for you is that Atari Soft released uh, their boxes. You may remember that they were all a single color, but what you might not know is that each color uh, coincided with a specific platform. So uh, all the Commodore 64 boxes, for example, were green. Uh, ColecoVisions were orange, and Intellivision is pink. Apple II is red. 
The Commodore VIC-20 had purple ones. Uh, IBM PC was blue. The ZX Spectrum had turquoise, and the TI-99-4A had yellow. So let's get started with the opening music from Track and Field. Okay, wait, wait, wait. That's the Apple II version. Let's play the Commodore 64 version of that. Yes, that sounds a little better. Obviously, the context around this game, this game was released in 1984, and in 1984, the Olympics took place in Los Angeles, California. Um, To me, I'm trying to think of the memories that I have around that time. Uh, I was uh, 11 years old, so Carl Lewis, I think, was a big thing around that time. Uh, In 1980, we boycotted uh, some of the Olympics, and so 1984, I think Russia and East Germany and uh, several other countries boycotted our Olympics, Um, but that's okay because uh, it was Los Angeles, it was 1984, it was Ronald Reagan, it was all um, very uh, patriotic times. So uh, when you first load up track and field, You will see, uh, so let me mention this right off before I get started. Uh, There are at least two different releases of track and field. Uh, There's the regular release that came out, I believe, in 1984. Um, Both of these uh, have the same copyright information, but there was also a budget release later on that didn't come with the pack-in controller, and I'll talk about the controller here in just a minute. Um, So on the first version, and these are both, I got both of these through... uh, Game Base 64. There are two different versions. The first, uh, Track and Field, says copyright 1983 Konami and 1984 Atari. Level of difficulty, there are four choices, easy, normal, difficult, or awesome. Number of players, one to four, and number of participants, it says one to two. Uh, on this version, F1 is start, uh, F3 and F4 changes each option, and F5 and F6 Uh, moves down through the list. Now, on the other version, some of it uh, is very similar. It has the same copyright, 83 Konami, 84 Atari, has the same difficulty levels. Uh, It also says number of players, but instead of number of participants, it says number of controllers, one to two. So that makes a little bit more sense. Um, Then it has a different choice where it says, do you want to play the actual game or it has a list of all the events. And so kind of like uh, uh, summer games and uh, those type of games now in this, you could just play a single event. Um, it also explains what the function keys do, <laughs> which the other version doesn't do. Uh, and it says press F7 to show high scores. So that is a uh, different addition. Now, when you start the game, you enter your initials. You can't hold the joystick down. You have to press over uh, to go each level or each letter. So um, to spell out Rob, I counted this, took 32 joystick hits (laughs) and three buttons. So I got a feeling a lot of people that played this game played it as (laughs) AAA and probably didn't put their name in. 
Uh, so let's get to those controls. Now, this game is probably single-handedly responsible for breaking more Commodore joysticks, more Atari-style joysticks than any other game. Um, now, the Commodore 64, the Apple II, and the Atari 2600 home versions of this game came with their own controller. And I will uh, add a link to the show notes showing the controller and also showing the box. If you look at the box, you can see that it's very thick. <laughs> it's more than just a floppy disk and an instruction manual in there. And... Um, the controller, if you're not familiar with the arcade game, in the arcade game of track and field, there are three buttons per player. Uh, you have basically your left foot <laughs> is a button, your right foot is a button, and then there's an action button uh, in games or in events where you jump, that is the jump button, in events where you throw things, that is the throw button. So that is the action button that's located in between uh, your two run buttons. So the controller is set up the same way. Now, if you had purchased this game and purchased that controller, uh, then you would be pounding on this controller relentlessly trying to uh, run in this game and... Uh, and set your scores or whatever. If you didn't have that controller, you can also play this game with a regular joystick. And instead of the uh, pressing buttons for left and right, you wiggle the joystick left and right. I have no idea. I mean, after I played this game a few times this week, and I feel like already the joystick is looser than when I started. So there were a lot of joysticks over the years that were uh, either worn out or probably just straight up broken <laughs> from um, uh, playing this game. And then, of course, um, there's a awkward, you have to hold the joystick in such a way that you can wiggle it left and right very quickly, but also be able to hit the button when it's time to jump or, or throw or whatever you're going to do. So uh, I'm turning to the manual now of the game, and the manual uh, explains how to load the game. One thing I thought was interesting in the manual is there is a note that says, note, do not plug in controller or joysticks until game has been loaded. I believe that goes specifically against the instructions in the Commodore 64 manual uh, that uh, connecting joysticks while the machine is on could possibly burn out one of the chips. So I was always told that you were supposed to now, not that we always did, but I was always told that you were supposed to only connect or disconnect joysticks when the machine was turned off. So I thought that was a little interesting, uh, uh, tidbit in the manual. Now the manual itself does explain what the function keys do that F five, uh, is selects an option and F three changes the option and F one starts. Uh, and this is to reset the game, press restore and press F5 to display scores during play. So uh, the second release uh, has the F7 where you can actually see the scores from the menu. Um, so anyway, uh, it, there's the, um, in the instruction manual, it talks a little bit how you're the athlete of the hour and how you're going to be uh, pushing for gold medals or whatever. And then it explains the six events that make up track and field. So let's talk about the six events. The first one is the 100-meter dash. And it says the distance is 100 meters, so there's no time for strategy. You dash down the track and burst through the tape at the finish line. If you beat 13 seconds, you qualify. Don't false start, though, and be sure to lift your knees so you won't stumble. Well, I don't know what that lifting your knees thing is all about. I guess it's talking about how you have to have the right um, tempo, you know, for the joystick. In other words, uh, if you if you don't get into... There's no way of talking about this without 
sounding dirty. <laughs> but you have to have a good rhythm on the joystick uh, to make your guy run properly. Uh, it does mention that you can false start, which is true. You could take off running before uh, the green light. And if you have a, a false start, takes up one of your three attempts to qualify. And if you don't qualify after three attempts, then your game is over. So you have to qualify in the 100-meter dash before you can continue to the second event, which is the long jump. Uh, the long jump instructions here say, how far into the sand pit can you launch yourself on the long jump? Get a good run and begin your leap before the start line to avoid fouling. Jackknife your body once you're in the air to reduce drag and increase your distance. Jump seven meters and you qualify. Now, um, on the uh, on the, the main menu, when I mentioned that there are levels of difficulty that were easy, normal, difficult, and awesome, by changing those, you change what the... Uh, minimum distance or time is for you to qualify. It makes the game easier to qualify. But again, on each of these events, you have three attempts. And if you don't qualify within three attempts, then your game is over. The third event is the javelin throw. Uh, if you control the trajectory, your javelin travels farther. You aim for almost level flight so that energy isn't wasted on journeys up and back down. If you accidentally throw your javelin straight up, you won't qualify, but you may earn rewards of a different sort. A distance of 72.5 meters qualifies you for the competition. So there are Easter eggs in the arcade version of track and field. Uh, and so some of those, so, not all of them, but some of them have been uh, made it to this port. And one of them is right here in the javelin. So if you uh, run really fast and throw the javelin straight up, it will go off the screen. And I believe it uh, sticks into a bird. There's a bird, there's a chandelier if you did a certain thing. So I, I think it's the bird that you get uh, in this version. The, uh, this one is that events actually pretty easy to qualify for. That's, that's a pretty easy one. Uh, the next one is the 110 meter hurdles. So this is basically just like the, uh, hundred meter dash, except for you have to jump, uh, every 10 meters. And literally when you're running at the fastest, you may only have like one or two steps in between hurdles. So this one takes some pretty good timing. Uh, this, this is one that knocks a lot of people out. It says you uh, qualify within 13 and a half seconds. Um, but I, uh, I was able to get past this one, but it, it took me a few tries. The next event on the list is the hammer throw. Around and around you spin until you release the hammer. Build up speed as you rotate so that your momentum carries the missile the maximum distance. Concentrate on your aim too or you may be disqualified for flinging your hammer against a wall. Throw your hammer 77 meters to qualify. So this one doesn't uh, require the left and right joystick movement. Basically when you tap the joystick or maybe it's just a button, uh, you're... Your little man starts spinning and he spins in a counterclockwise yeah, position. Uh, and uh, basically what you have to do is time when to hit the button. Uh, in the arcade version, I used to do this by sound. Uh, it plays a little whoosh sound every time your guy goes around and you would count how many whooshes, uh, seven or eight whooshes. Uh, and then right when it would play that, you would hit the button. And then, um, like some of the other events, you hold down the button until you get to the um, proper angle, and then you release the shot put. So this one takes some practice, uh, and definitely the second release is easier where you can play the same event over and over, uh, because this one's all about timing, and uh, it's probably the most difficult one, I think, to uh, qualify on. 
Last event is the high jump, and it says it's your toughest event, but I don't think so. I think hammer throw is harder. It says don't launch yourself too soon. Don't tangle with the bar, and if you do, you'll earn only a red flag and a cry of foul. Marshal your strength and coordination. I wonder if that's a typo. Uh, to clear even higher obstacles, jump 2.35, that must be meters, and you qualify for the competition. So uh, on the high jump, first of all, you have to run with the joystick. Then you have to press the button uh, where you jump, and you will go up. And then once you clear the bar, you hold down the button to adjust your angle even more and then clear the bar. So this one takes a little bit of coordination, but I, it's not really that hard. Uh, and then there's a, a little thing here about uh, the thrill of victory that says you will you'll have a great day and uh, you're going to win the Olympics or whatever. So track and field. Let's get into uh, some of the magazine reviews about track and field at the time. Now, like I said, this was released uh, in 84, uh, but for some reason, a lot of the online magazines that I was able to find links for, and these, I believe all these links came from Lemon64. Uh, we have a review from Commodore User that gives it a 5 out of 10. Uh, we have a review from Zap that gives it 61%, which is a D-. And Commodore Force gives it a 28%. Ouch. I don't think this game is that bad. Um, I think this game will wreck your joysticks. Uh, and But... You know, putting it in a context of 1984 and the arcade port, I mean, the graphics on this thing look pretty good. Um, the characters look like the characters in the video game. The sprites are all the right size. Everything um, scrolls really well. So this game looks really good. Um, you know, maybe it's not the deepest game in the world. You're just shaking the joystick back and forth to run or, or uh, hitting, you know, the buttons on the controller that came with it or whatever. So... Yeah, maybe not the deepest gameplay, but you get six different solid events. I don't think this is any worse than uh, Summer Games or Summer Games 2 or any of those type of games. So I don't know why this got uh, such terrible reviews. This game was ported, as I mentioned earlier, uh, to several different uh, home computers and home consoles, including the Apple II, the Atari 2600, the Atari 8-bit computers, the MSX, the NES, and the ZX Spectrum. It has also been available for download on the Xbox 360, and these are all ports of the Konami arcade game. Now let's get into a little bit of my own personal memories about track and field. I grew up in a neighborhood just outside of a suburb, which is just outside of Oklahoma City. So I lived a couple of miles outside of town. I lived in a, a neighborhood, and uh, it was a, an enclosed circle, a loop, with uh, only a couple of exits. And the exits all went out to a street that had a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit uh, and nowhere to go. Uh, so to walk to town for me would have been, uh, gosh, a three mile walk, something like that. Uh, but there was one place that I could walk to and that was the convenience store. We just called it the store. Um, and it had a name and it was sold. And then it had another name. It was sold. I think it was three M at one point it was five W. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's always kind of like one of those generic family owned, 
convenience stores, but we would just tell our parents we were going up to the store and they knew exactly what that meant. So it was a half a mile walk from my house to the store. You would walk all the way up and then look both ways because you're crossing two lanes of 55 mile an hour traffic. And then you would run across the street and then you would be at the store. And the store was where we went to spend our allowance on candy or pop, uh, sometimes to buy uh, uh, magazines. Um, And in the back part of the store, they had arcade games. And I remember they had Asteroids. For sure, I remember they had Asteroids. They had Joust for a while. Later on, they had Shinobi. And the other one that I know for a fact they had was Track and Field. And in fact, I know that they had the sit-down version of Track and Field. And they had little chairs sitting over there. So my friends and I would go up, especially during the summer. You know, when you're on summer vacation, you had nothing to do. And we would go up there and play Track and Field uh, for hours. And we, we knew all the the little tricks. Some of us, I had two pencils uh, taped together because that worked better than one pencil. And you would use your, your finger kind of as a fulcrum and to tap the buttons really fast. So there was a finger technique, I guess you would say for track and field, there was a wallet technique where you would take your wallet out, make sure it was empty and kind of uh, bend it uh, a little bit at a, almost like a, a semicircle and slide it back and forth across the buttons. So there were a lot of different techniques. And, and later on, they released, um, versions of this game that had little plastic guards <laughs> around the button. So you couldn't do those things anymore. Uh, so I remember playing a ton of track and field around that time. And then track and field came out for the Commodore 64. So I got a copy of that and it was To me, I mean, it looks very similar to the arcade port. It looks really good. And then I had my friends come over, and after playing it once or twice, I was like, yeah, we are not playing that anymore. This is going to destroy my joysticks, you know? And um, this was at a time, if you think about 84, 85, where, uh, not the Commodore, but the uh, Atari 2600 has really lost uh, a lot of its... um, what would you call it? A lot of it's glitter, a lot of it's, um, appeal, you know, people, I, I remember playing the con or the, uh, gosh, the, uh, Atari 2600 up until probably 83, you know, 82, 83, maybe 84. I, I mean, we had ours around for a long time, uh, you know, kept it hooked up and stuff like that. But so a lot of people, by the time this came out for the Commodore, weren't playing, Atari 2600 anymore, but they had Atari 2600 joysticks laying around. So I would tell people, Hey, you know, if you want to play this game, that's fine, but you need to bring your own joystick. And I I seem to remember maybe one or two people did. Um, but mostly we just didn't play this game because I was so worried that it was going to destroy my joysticks and it did destroy joysticks. Um, I mentioned in my book, Commodore, that uh, we had Microsoft Decathlon for the Apple II, which is a similar type game, except for the graphics are nowhere near as good as this. The the people are stick people. Uh, But on the Apple II, you hit keys on the keyboard. And, I mean, that's even worse. I mean, a joystick, you know, for a kid, if you lost, you broke your joystick or whatever, uh, that would be really sad times, but you could get another joystick for 10 bucks or whatever. Uh, but if you destroyed an Apple keyboard or something, you were going to be a big trouble from your dad. <laughs> I would have been. Uh, so at least this was joysticks, but still, yeah, it just seemed like a, a game that wrecked hardware. So maybe that's why, um, 
uh, it got such bad reviews. Um, as a kid, I'm pretty sure I had the first release that did not allow you to train the different events and you had to work your way through. So I remember having to play this game a lot to try to get to just to see all six events. You know, the 100 meter dash is pretty easy, but then you start getting into, I mean, by the time you get to the hammer throw and, and uh, some of those other ones, they're, they're difficult to qualify for. So, um, yeah, I, I remember being uh, pretty frustrated with this game and, um, the other memory I have of this game is just the fact that I like the fact that there's a one-to-one relationship, I guess, between the joystick and the running on the screen, you know? So uh, I guess what I mean by that is like, I don't know, in some games, if it's like things are happening and you're not directly responsible for, like your ship might be going left or right or things might be happening. But in this, I mean, as, as fast as you can do the joystick is as fast as your guy runs, you know? So there was actually a, te- a physical skill that went with uh, making the person run faster on the screen. So uh, th- those are my memories of playing uh, track and field on the Commodore 64. For graphics, I give track and field four out of five javelins. I think this game looks really good. It looks very similar to the arcade version. The characters look, uh, they're very well detailed and everything about this game. I think it looks really good. Uh, For music, I give it three out of five. I think the music's good. There's not that much of it. Uh, Sound effects, same thing. I give it three out of five javelins. Uh, You know, when the sound effects are there, they're they're well done, but there's just... uh, not that much to them. Overall gameplay, I think this is the first time I've gone with a half. I would go with three and a half out of five javelins. I do think that it is uh, slightly above average when it comes to graphics and sound and, and things like that. But uh, the fact that you are going to destroy your joysticks by playing it uh, makes me not want to give it a four. And also, there's not that much to this game once you've mastered the events. Uh, and many of the events are, are somewhat well, they're all pretty much similar uh, in that you have to waggle the joystick and then press a button at the right time. So it doesn't have a huge amount of longevity, but it's definitely worth checking out uh, a time or two if you're interested in these type of games. again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. The next game I'll be covering is 1983's Jumpman by Epics. If you'd like to play Jumpman before the next episode is released, head on over to SpriteCastle.com and click the downloads link at the top of the page where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on the show. If you'd like to send me feedback about this or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SpriteCastle or leave me a voicemail on the Flat Podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. SpriteCastle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. You can find links to more podcasts by me by visiting robohara.com. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the list of links on the right-hand side of SpriteCastle.com. 
Thanks again for listening. Now get back to hoofing it around the track, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. <laughs>